Hey, this morning, I think we've got a title up. We have. Um, I went to a concert uh, a few weeks back, probably a little bit earlier than that. I like human nature. They're a really nice... They're not a boy group anymore. They're much older men, but... They got up and they said when they first started, there's a really old song, get ready, get ready. There's a train coming, you can get on board and it won't cost you anything. And I thought, oh, they're singing a gospel song first up, get ready, get ready. And there was something about these lovely four young older men. They were young once upon a time, like we were, me. Uh, And I just felt way back then, I think it was in June, that really we have to be ready that I thought, next chance I get to talk is going to be get ready, get ready, get ready because Jesus is, is coming again. So I'm going to start this morning reading to you from Revelation 22 and I've got a lot of scriptures. Not every one of them are going to be up on the screen because I thought, goodness gracious, um, Sonny would have been going for ages and ages and I'm not going to read massive lots of verse this morning. But as I read to you, from Revelation 22, verse 12 to 20. Let's pay attention because Jesus is speaking these words. Look, I am coming soon. My reward is with me and I will give each person according to what they have done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Actually, I've read earlier than, um, oh yeah, 12 to 20, it's quite lengthy, sorry. Blessed are those, this is verse 14, blessed are those who wash their robes that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. Outside are the dogs, those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come, and let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty come, and let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this scroll. If anyone adds anything to them, God will add to that person the plagues described in this scroll. And if anyone takes words away from this scroll of prophecy, God will take away from that person any share in the tree of life and in the holy city which are described in this scroll. He who testifies says... Yes, I am coming soon. Amen? He is. That's, it. That's my agreement. Yes, you are coming soon. He said some 2,000 years ago, he was coming soon. It's taken 2,000 years. I don't know the hour of the day. Jesus said no man knows the hour or the day. But we need to be more ready because as we go on, there are 66 books in this Bible If there's someone in this house today who does not have a Bible, we would love to give you a Bible 
because there's nothing like... You can get them online free. You just look up version and download that app in whatever translation you like. And I think it may have other languages as well to choose from. But we need to be reading the word because Jesus speaks from his word. It inspires us. 66 books in the Bible. And yes, some non-believers want to argue it's only written by a man. But the believers can have confidence that the God who created the heavens and the earth and all life form can, will and does speak through his created humans. Can we agree? 2 Peter 1, 20 to 21. Sorry. 2 Peter 1, 20 to 21 says. You're already ahead of me because you're watching it on the screen. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will. But prophets, through human, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So as I said, people want to argue with you that this is just a book written by a man, but you have to know the Holy Spirit oversaw every word over the centuries, people have tried to destroy this word, but God has kept it alive. It's still the number one selling book in the world, the Bible. Could be because I've probably got about five different versions myself. Who knows? I want to read to you from 2 Timothy 3.16 as well. Just going. Timothy's before Hebrews, 2 Timothy 3.16. And I've always loved this verse. All scripture, that's all scripture. You've got to believe this book. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. That's why we have scripture. It's useful for teaching us, for correcting us. And I have to tell you, he has rebuked me a number of times as I've read this word. But when I first started picking up the Bible, I was teaching Sunday school. And truly, I would read my lesson this week, just one week ahead of the little children, to teach it to them the next week. But I would read. And whatever the word said, that I knew, so it was like a mirror in my face um, telling me that how I was living was wrong. I made adjustments. So we need to be reading so that we can make adjustments to our life and know what he wants for us. Every word written by man is inspired by God through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Uh, one more um, scripture psalm. It'll be coming up. Psalm 33, 6 to 9. Again, you'll be ahead of me. I love my paper version. Just something about seeing it with my eye. I know I could do it on my little laptop or on my iPad or on my iPhone, but 
my eye wants to see the paper and feel the paper. And sometimes when I'm praying at home, I'll actually put my Bible on the ground, don't throw stones at me, but sometimes I'll actually stand on top of it and I'll just say, Lord, I'm standing on your word today. When I need for him to come and break through, I'm standing on your word, on your promises for me. And he doesn't mind at all. In fact, I sense that God's really pleased with me that I believe his word and that I take him at his word and he blesses me so much. Psalm 33 verse 6 to 9 says, again, I'm just proving to you the word. <laughs> all right. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. Their starry host by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the waters of the sea into jars. He puts the deep into storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. That word fear, you can replace it with respect, honour, value. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the people of the world revere him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. Gee, if I had more time, I'd actually give you the whole Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2 um, account of how from nothingness he spoke and the universe came to be. He spoke and the stars took their places. He spoke and the earth was formed and there were mountains, there was water, seas, uh, water separating, water above our sky, in the sky, the clouds, everything else. From He spoke. But when it came to man, he didn't speak man into being. He actually bent down and he formed man out of the dirt of the ground. And I think, God, what a genius you are. How brilliant you are. Even doctors and me, most of all, I guess, is so confounded as to how our body, when we cut ourselves, knows to heal itself and stop bleeding and all of the organs that we have and all of the purpose that they have and in the brain, all the neurons that are conversing between each other and we put our hand on something hot and we know straight, pull your hand off, that's hot. Our brain's telling our body to do stuff and I think, God, how could you have known to do that in a man? When you made us, you are so genius. I can't think of a word big enough for God. But I want to tell you this word is truth. It says um, in Psalms 2, let men everywhere lift up holy hands to the Lord. So when it comes to worship, I heard Pastor Dave say a couple of times throughout uh, times we've had him um, speak about worship or Lift your hands in, in praise and worship. Lift your hands because scripture says, let men everywhere lift their hands. You know, it's just something, for whatever reason, some men feel embarrassed. I think more women are open or I don't know what it is, not afraid to look like we're fools or I don't know. I don't know. But men, be prepared to be a fool for God. I have on many occasions been prepared to be a fool for God, especially when it have happened to be that I had to go and ask someone to forgive me or confess a sin. Every word is written by God, inspired by the Holy Spirit, but a man actually penned it, but it was written by God. There's a teaching from Jesus. It's a pretty lengthy teaching, so I thought I can't put all of chapter 24 up on the screen because I'd love you to read chapter 24. It's called, uh, in the book of Matthew, I have a title. Uh, it says, 
the destruction at the temple and signs of the end times. Remember, get ready. Jesus is coming again. At a time and a date, we do not know. Plenty of scriptures that tell us if we knew when he was coming, we would be ready. But you've got to live ready, not knowing when. And if you're not ready, you miss out. And wow, it's not going to be good. It's not going to be good for those who miss out. I've already had a conversation with my son. You know that um, I love my son. He tells me he's saved. And not taking his family to church yet. I've got nearly adult grandchildren. So, yes, I'm concerned for them and their salvation. But my son says, it's all right, Mum. I'm there already. And I did have a word to him, but I've said, if you hear that millions or, in fact, even billions have been taken off the earth... Don't think an alien ship came and kidnapped them and took them away. This word says that we will be taken. I'm going to get to read you in a moment, but I've said to him, and if that happens, that you hear that some have disappeared, you better go around to our house and check to turn the stove off. You know, anyway. I, I hope that that prompts him from time to time. All right. Signs of the end times that we are living in are recorded and written for us in Matthew 24. So I would so love for you to read it. But God himself hasn't left us ignorant about what our world is going to look like as the coming of Jesus draws closer and closer. There's a very descriptive picture of how people will behave and how they will live their lives. In fact, I know some people like that today. And again, in fact, I live like that to some degree. Before I was saved by my God of love, of huge love, who is slow to anger and abounding in love, I quickly learned from reading his love letter to me, the Bible, that he desires that not one person should perish, but many do ignore him and get on living their life their own way. But he doesn't want one person to perish. Scripture tells us to choose whom we will serve. It tells us to choose life and not death. For us to choose life, it means one thing. It means saying yes to Jesus. It means that I will have to summon the courage. We have our theme for the year, a courage culture or a fearless culture. And it's a great theme, but it takes courage to be a Christian. We have to stand out from everybody else. We have to say no to a lot of stuff that others would be saying and doing. We have to choose life and not death. So say yes to Jesus. I choose daily to follow my master, Jesus Christ, Saviour and Lord. A Bible teacher, Joyce Meyer, says often that we have to choose Jesus just by obeying and very often doing it afraid. There's stuff we have to do. Sometimes it's confess a sin to someone. It's trying to make up for wrongs that we've done. We just have to do it all afraid. It takes courage to say no to our so-called friends who would drag us down with them. 2 Timothy 3, 1 to 5, an amazing scripture of today's um, people on the earth. And I was just like some of this stuff that I'm going to read to you. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 to 5. 
All right. Last days. But mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And of course, we've seen, I guess in some ways, a great falling away from church on Sundays because people are lovers of pleasure and they take their kids to their sporting games and to everything else. Um, Sid and I were probably more me, was a little bit more strict and hard on our daughter as she was growing up. She was a pastor's kid, so she had to be in church and she tried a couple of times, Mum, can I just join the physical culture group? It's on Sundays. And I said, Bryony, I won't be taking you on Sunday. It's the Lord's Day. I won't be taking you. So what happens? The lady who runs the physical culture group, Sally, came and saw me and said, Sue, look, I understand you run a church, but if you'd let me take Bryony with the other girls, I'll look after her. It's only for a term, whatever. So I relented and I let her go and I felt bad that, you know, mum wasn't supporting her, but my first call, and she had to see my first call, was to the house of God. And that was it. She could have chosen another thing. Well, she did. I used to run her around everywhere to tennis on a Saturday. We used to do the same with our son, run him around to tennis comps on Saturday. Sid and I... Well, Sid played more tennis comps than I did. I was more the social girl. I'm happy to play social tennis. I don't have a killer streak in me to want to thrash everybody on the court. But I understand sport can be played, but there's a time to honour God. And churches aren't as full as they used to be once because of our children's sport. Pick another sport for them. Encourage them to do something else. Okay, so they're lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. They have a form of godliness, but deny its power. Have nothing to do with such people. There you go. I think the word's hard. The word is good to us. It teaches us. And we have to love his word. And I do love his word. And I have been so prepared to be a fool for my God. Once you have the revelation of the cost Jesus paid for our redemption, we all look at life differently. We should have a love for his word because truth that is found in the Bible, the inspiration that is found in the Bible instructs us in living a holy life. Jesus helps me in living this life because he's given me his spirit. I have to tell you, many times through a week, I will just drop to my knees when I've lost something, when I need something and I see his intervention. I can't help but be humbled that he loves me enough. Even before I ask, something will just pop up and think, oh, I was going to need that in a little while and look, there it is. He helps me so much. I am so blessed by God. He is an ever-present help. Not a sometimes present, but an ever-present God. Holy Spirit's not a power. He's a person. 
And we can grieve him. Scripture says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. He's a person. I don't know how you think about Holy Spirit or what you've thought, but he is the third person of the Godhead. And Jesus sent him to us to be with us always, and he abides in me. And he speaks to me, and he teaches me, and he tells me about things that are coming. I remember one morning in the year 2003, I got up early one morning, and he spoke audibly, and he said, prepare for the worst. It shocked me. And I thought, prepare for the worst. Okay, I didn't say anything to Sid. Um, I prayed over my children, their lives, no accidents, this, that and everything else. We went away on a uh, pastor's retreat and there was a prophet in the group of our pastors and he prophesied over Sid and I that there's an enemy who has an assault out against you and be prepared, be ready for that. On the way home I spoke to Sid about it because I'd already had the word, prepare for the worst and it didn't matter what I did it was going to come it was going to come I couldn't all my prayers and everybody else's prayers did not stop it but I had to walk through it and it was very very difficult and I'd have to say to you a little bit of my testimony I came from yeah poverty and abuse and domestic violence and a terrible terrible life and I vowed I would not be like my mother or that lifestyle. As soon as I could, I was getting out of that and um, living differently. But I fell into a lot of mistakes. And for me, it's my testimony and it's not yours and it's a not, a, not a word you have to appropriate. But God very clearly said to me one day in my early walk with the Lord, I don't want you to drink alcohol again. Sid and I would have, um, in summer, he'd come home from work and... I would have a bourbon and coke, he would have a scotch and dry or a beer and we just got into that as a habit and it wasn't getting drunk at that time but I've had quite a few hangovers where I've been sick for days when we've gone out amongst our non-Christian friends because I wasn't a Christian at that time, okay, this is all pre-Christian life but God said to me and I heeded that word, I don't want you to drink alcohol again because when that word came prepare for the worst and I didn't know what was going to happen I know that if I had not made a vow to God I would have picked up the bottle and drunk myself to oblivion and trying to forget what had happened or just in the sheer pain so I tell you what I judge no man God will judge us one day but he more loves us and he doesn't want one to perish he just wants us to pick ourselves up and live righteously. So there's something about hearing the word but getting to know Holy Spirit and his voice. And Holy Spirit will never, ever ask you to do something bad. God is only ever about good. If we have to tell someone they've done something wrong, do it in love in the most gracious way that you can. Never in a retaliation or, you know, I'll get you back. 1 Corinthians 6, 14 to 20. I have got markings everywhere. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 14 to 20. By his power, 
God raised the Lord from the dead. And he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body. But whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you? When you said yes to Jesus Christ, Holy Spirit moved in and you are the temple. A living temple. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honour God with your bodies. Where it actually talks about... um, sexual sin and it being in us, it can be very, very difficult for men and women who may have been raped, sexually abused, because it's a sin that's taken hold within their body. It's affected them. Sin's outside the body to me because I've ministered to lots of people, men and women, who have experienced abuse and abuse as little children. And it does affect them because it's a sin inside their body and it takes a great deal of forgiveness toward those and if you were abused you have to forgive the other not for their sake but for yours to set you free forgiveness is an amazing gift to each and every one of us and our God forgave us for sinning against him so we are to honour God with our bodies there is need to confess our sins to him I don't need to look this one up, I know it off by heart, but Isaiah 1.18, Isaiah chapter 1 verse 18 says, God saying, come now, let us reason together, says your God, and see that your sin is red as scarlet, but I will wash you whiter than snow. So there's a need to confess our sin to God and then repent, and the word repent means I'm never going to do this again. It's the same with lots of other things that serve as distractions. Pastor Dave mentioned the word distractions this morning, distractions during worship, thinking what happened this morning or yesterday or last week. Lots of things serve as distractions. We have to choose every day for ourselves to live righteous lives. And we can because we have the Holy Spirit. In the book of Peter, it says, Be holy as I am holy. He's not dangling this little scripture as a carrot in front of us. We can do it by the power of Holy Spirit who lives within us. Because we are now the temple of the Lord, a spiritual temple. In times past, there was a physical, natural temple in Jerusalem where God chose to reside and declare his presence. In fact, about the temple, I'm going to give you a little bit of brief history. All right, the temple, 
The temple was destroyed in 70 AD by the Romans and history tells us that the temple had actually been rebuilt three times, in case you weren't aware, on the same site. King Solomon had built the first temple and you can read all about that in chapters 1, uh, Kings 5 to 6, okay? In Kings chapters 5 to 6, Solomon built a temple his father David, King David, wasn't allowed to build it because he was a man of blood. He had bloodshed on his hands. He'd killed people. Solomon hadn't. But anyway, King David had provided all of the finances for the work for his building. And this replaced the transportable tabernacle built by Moses, which actually served a migrant nation. So they put the tabernacle up. They took it down. They put it up. They took it down everywhere they moved. But when they came into the land... David had set aside finance to build a temple. And the temple was erected on Mount Moriah, the very mountain that Abraham was called to sacrifice his son Isaac. Not Ishmael, the true son Isaac, the promise of God. Okay, the first temple was destroyed by the Babylonians in about 587 BCE. The second temple was completed by the returning exiles after they came out of exile in 515 BCE. And they had been taken into exile in Babylon and later allowed to return under an edict of King Cyrus of Persia. Now, King Cyrus wasn't a Jew or an Israelite. He was a Gentile, I guess. But God put him in a position of power. And he ended the Babylonian captivity and it was the first year of his reign. In the first year of his reign, he was prompted by God to decree that the temple in Jerusalem should be rebuilt and that Jews who wished to could return to their homeland for this very purpose. And then by 515 BC, they had completed building the second temple. Now, there's talk of a third temple, but the third temple is described as the most elaborate from 19 to 9 BCE and was actually uh, developed under Herod's reign until it was destroyed in 70 CE. Generally, the temple established by the returning exiles and Herod's temple are referred to as the second temple or is called the Second Temple Period because it was under construct, reconstruction. It was under reconstruction. So the physical characteristics described will refer to sem, Second Temple evidence. So the term temple refers to all three as the temple representing all three, being that it is the establishment of the institution, okay, not the building, but the institution that's of interest, rather than any architectural differences between all three. After the destruction of the temple and the need to preserve their cultural, ritualistic heritage, sacrificing animals, they had synagogues that provided a means of continuity their religious customs. But today, we don't need that anymore. You, me, us, I, we are 
the living temple for the holy God. I love um, reading some of the Old Testament. Some of it I find horrific. Uh, a very old man when I first became a Christian said, Sue, you've got to read this book and it can be a really hot book in some parts. You'll read that there was lust and there was rape and there was all sorts of things. But I was reading there was a man by the name Obed-Edom and after King David had tried to bring back the Ark of the Covenant on a cart and Uzzah, um, who put out his hand when the cattle moved, he didn't want the temple, uh, the ark to fall off. He was struck dead. And King David was afraid and he thought, who can ever touch or bring back the Ark of the Covenant? So they took us to the nearest and that was Obed-Edom. He had a property. And Obed-Edom looked after the, cart, um, the ark in his own home. But in three months that he had looked after the ark protected it and it was there housed. He was so blessed. His cornfields were huge. His crops were massive. He had harvest after harvest. It was so amazing. The prosperity that Obed-Edom had experienced with the presence of God being in his own home. That can be true for us. You host the presence of God, there should be prosperity. Mightn't always be financial, but it would be to everything you put your hand to do. There is prosperity for us. And Obed-Edom, when King David actually worked out how the ark should be taken back, he was still scared because he took a step or a dance and stopped and prayed and the cymbals and the band played and he was making sure that God heard the worship. He was still tentative. But Obed-Edom followed and he served in the house of God. He knew what it was like to be around the presence of God. So Obed-Edom had decided it was better to be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord. And he was there as a doorkeeper. He was there as a worship play, I forget what instrument he played, but you'll see Obed-Edom there so often after he had hosted the presence of God, you can't get me away from it. I would say that's true for me too and I hope it's true for you. Once you have had a touch from Holy Spirit, you could never deny him and you would walk in obedience to whatever he asked you to do. That's how it is for me and as I said, I hope it's for you too. All right. Today, every Christian is the temple of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 6.19. Did I already read that? Just the one verse. 6.19. Do, not, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You are bought at a price. Therefore, honour God with your bodies. Amen. So we have our theme. Courageous, fearless, you rise up today and you be that fearless Christian that God has called you to be. It calls for wisdom in standing for godly values. The worship team can come up. It calls for wisdom in standing for godly values. It calls for humility in standing for godly values. It calls for truth in standing for godly values. It calls for a fearless courage in standing for godly values and living as Christ's ambassador. Now, as Christ's ambassador, I will read you 2 Corinthians. I've probably already lost my little marker. I couldn't find any of my little stickies. I'm going to have to go out and buy a heap. 2 Corinthians 5.20. 
and it says, We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf. First, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Let's build our lives on Jesus Christ the rock, who is returning for us at any time now. Uh, I did put something on our WhatsApp group a little while back saying, would you go online and have a little look at um, Pastor John Hagee's little interview with um, Matt and Laurie Crouch. And it was called The Rapture and the Second Coming. And it was very, very good. And he said, there is not one thing. And actually, I heard Pastor Steve Penny, who was on Sid Hattie's um, message this morning on live. And Pastor Steve Penny said exactly the same thing. There is not one thing that we are waiting for, for the rapture to take place. I have a feeling it's because myself and many of you have prayed still for unsaved family. Maybe God's just waiting. But there's not one thing that should stop him from coming at any second, any moment, and taking us off the face of this earth. Us Christians will be lifted off. We will be gone. There will be others left. I could have read you from Matthew 20, 40 to 44. It talks about that there will be two, two people uh, two people grinding wheat at a, a mill wheel. One will be gone and one will be left. There'll be two people in a bed. One will be gone and one will be left. That's what the rapture will be like. We'll just disappear in the blink or twinkling of an eye, even quicker than that. We're going up. The dead in Christ will go probably before us, but we'll all be gathered into a realm way, way above where Jesus Christ is going to take us to be his bride. He's a bridegroom. We're his bride. Yes, men, you're his bride. It's not about gender when we get to heaven. There is none. There'll be no marrying in heaven except we'll be married to Jesus Christ. It will be a holy affair. Let's build our lives on Jesus Christ the rock who is returning for us at any time. We don't know the hour of the day. Let's just make sure we're living. Get ready, get ready, get ready because he is coming soon. And I'm just going to finish Revelation 22:20 20 again as we go out this morning. Revelation 22:20. He who testifies to these things says, "Yes, I am coming soon." Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Verse 21, let it be a doxology as we go out. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with God's people. Amen.